0: Welcome to another episode of State of the Franchise. I am Tom Stadler here with my glorious co-host, Fred Dakin. It's good to be here. I love
1: being here. It's my favorite place.
0: It's great, Fred. I'm glad to glad we're back. We're glad we're doing this again. We got a whole new setup here. Mm-hmm. We're feeling very official all of a sudden. We're in the stewed. The stewed. Yet we have migrated from the living room, which we did for our last couple of recordings, into the studio now, which is... Also my office, but it's a, uh, it's very official. I don't know. I, I, mm-hmm. I like the ambiance. I got, I got a rock photo. Kinda. And it's signed. It's signed 1999. Yep. Th- did you buy it signed or did you go somewhere and get it? Signed? Oh no, 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 Oh, oh no. This was after a WrestleMania event in 1999. I had a opportunity to go to like, there's this whole place called Dave hero sports page that was on first street or water street. It might have been even a little bit off water, but he had the rock coming there after this like pay-per-view event to sign autographs. So we went there, we stood in line, we are about like hundred people there. And so we went in there, my dad and I got in and yeah, so we got to meet the rock. <laughs> he signed the the photograph for me. They were just handing him out like these photographs. And I was like, this is not the most <laughs> like photogenic. It's just, he looks real angry. Like he's just, I don't know. <laughs> It's it's pretty cool though. I was taken
1: out of middle school once to uh, go meet Hillary Duff at a mall. What? Because <laughs> I had a huge crush on Lizzie McGuire. Oh man, it me too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's I, amazing. What uh? What middle school were you at? This was in Georgia.
1: Yeah, I was living in Georgia in Conyers, Georgia, and we got to the mall, and it was just wrapped around the whole place. And at one point, my babysitter who took me out of school was just like. It's going to be like a couple hours, and they're saying we might not even get to see her. And I said the creepiest thing you could ever say. I said, as long as I can see her in person, I don't have to get an autograph. (laughs) So we went went to the belt because she was set up like in front of a belk but they had the big metal doors closed mm-hmm. and so we went around the other side and i could just like i had my fingers on the metal just like looking so i could see her face <laughs> just like a
0: little creep that's actually funny that's honestly the feeling i get when i went to comic-con like you are like you're in the same room as all these celebrities but you're not like going up and shaking their hand you're not having like one-on-one conversations you're just listening to them talk at you and it's like it's almost kind of like going to like a conference, like any other conference where it's like, here's your special speaker for the evening. And it's like, well, that's cool. But instead of having like professor Johnson from, you know, Harvard, you have Mark Hamill. So <laughs> it's like, I mean, you got that kind of fun piece. Uh, anyway, uh, it, again, this is a podcast state of the franchise where every week we are talking about a different franchise in the loosest sense of the term. And, uh, very excited this week, Fred, because this is kind of our, uh, our, our more establishing episode here. Just just you and me on this one, talking about Edgar Wright's Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy. I think previously I had said it was the Cornetto Trilogy, but Wikipedia corrected me.
1: Yeah, I've never heard the flavors thing, but I like it a lot. I really wanted to bring some, like, you know, we don't have Cornettos here, Mm-mm. but I wanted to bring, like, drumsticks, which I feel is the equivalent <sighs> But I had a tummy ache, so you had to suffer, too. I was like, I'm not going to buy them, and I'm not going to get
0: any. It's a bummer. They're tasty. So, okay, so that is what, because when I was watching the movies, I'm like, okay, so that's a Cornetto. And it did look like a drumstick, and I just figured they had to be around here. But, so that's just the English brand.
1: Yeah, I assume
0: it's something like Mars brand or something. I don't
1: know if it's Mars, but it's probably English, and they
0: just don't distribute it. Okay. Interesting, though. I guess that's like, because I tried looking it up. And I'm like, they just showed me pictures of it. And I'm like, here, it's a ice mm-hmm. cream cone. I'm like, yeah, great. But it's it's such a derivative piece. I think that's why I love that that's what it's called. Because the <laughs> you're not having anything to do with ice cream in any mm-hmm. of these. Other than they are just a snack at some point. But as I said, I just rewatched all of these movies in the past week. And I I, I love them all. The one that was... I'll get into this later, but I was a little skeptical on revisiting the World's End, and I was surprised that I enjoyed it. Yeah, I it's it's my least favorite, but they're all good. Is my thing. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. It's mm-hmm. they're all good, but that's uh, probably the least favorite of them all. Even though it's, I still enjoyed watching it.
1: For those who are less familiar with the Cornetto trilogy, the trilogy consists of three films. One being the 2004 horror comedy, Shaun of the Dead, which follows Shaun and his best
0: friend as they maneuver the zombie apocalypse. Followed then in 2007 by the action comedy Hot Fuzz, which tells the story of Sergeant Nicholas Angel who goes to a small village in the English countryside and navigates his way into a mysterious case involving a, a secret society that is kind of pulling the strings in the town. And that was finished up by...
1: The final film in the Cornetto trilogy, The World's End, which follows a group of friends as they return to their hometown to do
0: a pub crawl. But
1: things are not as they should
0: be. (laughs) No, they are not. A fun sci-fi adventure there. So all three films give us a a different flavor as we talked about the three flavors of the cornell trilogy was shawn of the dead your first exposure to edgar Roy? what's your personal history with him
1: yeah i remember the ads for this movie and i to me it kind of looked dumb because when i was younger the whole idea of comedy horror mm-hmm. i i just couldn't really connect with it the whole idea of having wildly different tones and managing mm-hmm. it in a film like i remember when i first saw american werewolf in london a movie that is huge for Edgar Wright, like, that's, like, his favorite movie. Yeah. Inspires him a lot. Right. I didn't like it. I was like, this is stupid. Like, <laughs> it's like they're making jokes, but, like, but now that's, like, one of my favorite movies. Yeah. And, like, I love movies that kind of go wild with tone. And I just remember watching Shaun the Dead also hit because... I had just come across the British office, oh. and it had like so. I was kind of getting like a lesson in English humor because yeah. that's that's the thing that stands out when I watch *Shaun Dead*. Is not really the horror; it's that very quippy uh, English dialogue, as well as the kinetic energy of the movie, mm-hmm. those quick cuts. Right. So I remember, like, we just rented it at a friend's house, and from there, I was all about it. And <laughs> what about you?
0: How were you introduced? No, and uh, I mean, I was. About the same thing. And I guess I was even going to ask you, too, because I feel like my introduction to horror comedy was like scary movie. Here's a kind of a spoof or, you know, it's it's playing Mm -hmm. off the themes, you know, which it's very meta in itself, because obviously Scream itself was a entire commentary about horror, but not in the comedy sense, just sort of in like. You know, you love it, even though we're telling you how it works. Like, you know, it's like you're seeing how the pasta is made. You're still like, I want that pasta. (laughs) Um, It's but, you know, and that's I felt like, you know, scary movie was another level deep. So then when Shaun of the Dead came along, I'm like, oh, this would be great. And I think back then I was still a little new to British comedy. And so when I watched it, I'm like, I don't know that that resonated with me. I I feel like the jokes kind of went over my head, but I liked it because it's a zombie movie. And it really took me a few years to feel like, oh, actually, that's great. Like, every time you revisit it, it feels better. But that was easily my first exposure to Edgar Wright was watching that.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think what makes, I guess what was different was Scary Movie was a big movie that I did eventually see, but it was one that I wanted to see, was too young to see. I think what makes them different is the Scary Movie movies, they play the horror for comedy, and what was different about Shaun of the Dead and, like, American Werewolf in London. And kind of, like, I know how he approached the script is, treat the horror like horror, then make the characters funny. Yeah. And I guess that that's what was throwing me for a loop when I was younger, was being general, genuinely freaked out, but also laughing. And then, like, it clicked into place when I saw Shaun of the Dead, because the humor was hitting for me. The horror is pretty good in it. It's suspenseful. You the character deaths are impactful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally am right there with you, where I feel like you do rewatch it, and you're almost, like, kind of, like, gutted when somebody does go. Even Bill Nye's character, I'm like, mm-hmm. damn. Like, it's like they had, like, this moment where they reconnected. Mm-hmm. And I remember just as, like, a, you know, a teenager being like, I don't care about this. Why, why Who cares about this dad and, or stepdad mm-hmm. and son? And then sort of like, oh, there's a lot of meaning to this, and... I think that's one thing I love that Edgar Wright does is he really balances like heart with you mm-hmm. know just straight jokes.
1: Well, his friendship stuff is always on point. Just like yes. got, like male friendship is always a thing. It's funny you bring bring up Bill Nye when I always think about Bill Nye in uh, Shaun of the Dead. He I don't know if that's the movie he established in, but like if, of that time period from now till back then, there's a Bill Nye move. In every movie that he's in, and it's a ramp up to disclosing information. He goes, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Like, that's true. And that's his move in that. I don't know if you've ever seen About Time. Yes. And he, he does a lot of like scenes like, I don't know if i ever told you this, but <laughs> you children mean the world to me. <laughs> Like that's the Bill Nye move—is like the big ramp up and then the like dropping of the emotional bomb, and he does it in not or uh, the Dead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true though i don't know if i ever told you no. it, it, even now, love I can actually
1: he does it with his sound the guy who's like his yeah, manager his producer yeah yeah, yeah. he has the yeah. same that was probably the first time he yeah. dropped the uh bill nine yeah. like truth bomb
0: you're the love of my fucking life <laughs> <laughs> it's uh ugh. he is on a run that was something that's something i want to revisit too as we keep talking but the context of where these actors all were at this point in their career at that time versus where they are now, because it's just like you casually have a lot of actors that were just sort of like dropped in there. And, um, you know, Martin Freeman, obviously, like totally different space in 2004, 2007, you know, to where he is now, where it's like if he pops up in something, that's like he's like your leading man. Like mm-hmm. he's not your. Oh, you know, throwaway side character who's hanging out with.
1: <laughs> I remember when he was like cast in the Hobbit movies. That was like, oh, that's one for us. Like, you know, like they went with someone that I like. But now it's like, oh, he's in you know Marvel movies. He's yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah Black Panther. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think about that. Um Yeah, I think that's it's so interesting there. And I mean, that was you know, obviously Hot Fuzz, I think, was where it all elevated to me. That's when I was like, okay, Edgar Wright, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously Simon Pegg, you love him, but, like, Edgar Wright, it's like, there's something to his style, the way he's doing a movie. And I was like, this is great. And then I think it all clicked for me, and I'm I'm curious where you kind of hit this point, if it was Shaun of the Dead or not, when I saw Scott Pilgrim, and I was like, this guy is, like, the voice of, like, my generation. Like, he gets the way I watch a movie like (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. yeah I I actually I you know you you're not gonna believe me when I say this but I didn't even know he directed Scott Pilgrim when Scott Pilgrim came out which is crazy coming from me because I'm the guy where I'm like when a movie comes out I'm like you know that guy directed you know yeah yeah (laughs) but I wasn't that guy then and so when Scott Pilgrim came out Initially I was like This isn't for me This looks like Because Michael Sarah Was pretty rote at that moment Yeah You know But then when I watched it I was like Oh this is amazing This is great All the actors Who I might have issues with Because this is like Chris Evans is also an actor At the time I didn't have much love for
0: But when I watched it, I was like Oh this guy's great He knows how to use His star power I mean we almost have to Talk about that Because I think There's going to be Some of that hot fuzz Of like I can't believe this person Was in this movie In a bit part it almost feels like Edgar Wright has consistently time and again found people, cast them in a movie, and then it's just like even the, the small characters go into like a whole new stratosphere like mm-hmm. five, ten years later. Where you're like, that person was just like ten minutes of screen time in this? Five minutes? Like, mm-hmm. how is that possible? And it, yeah, I mean, because that whole cast of Scott Pilgrim is mm-hmm. off the chain.
1: A big one for me now is Kieran Culkin's in it and he's, like, this swarmy, assholey character. Yeah. Whoever made Succession just watched Scott Pilgrim and was like, <laughs> all right, I want you to come do that because he is the same, he's probably darker in Succession, but it's oh, that same yeah. assholey, like, little golem sitting on the edge of the couch, like, I didn't feel like this way. Yeah. You know?
0: But he's so much more self-assured in Scott Pilgrim versus Succession where he mm. is just, like, he is, like, that worm. Like Oh, brother. yeah. Yeah, and I think, it's just, I don't know. I Even after Scott Pilgrim, I'm like, when is Kieran Culkin showing up again? I can watch the hell out of this guy. Like, mm-hmm. I, It's like, Macaulay's not going to do movies. We need we need one Culkin to yeah. represent.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although, Macaulay on American Horror Story, I think American Horror Story is not that good anymore, but he's good on it. Mm. He's the only reason I'm still watching it.
0: He's in the <laughs> new season? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't know that. Interesting. I, I gave up on, I think, after season three. But, yeah. I have my own opinions on... Um, What's the guy who made name Brian me? Murphy? <laughs> we, we could have a long talk about that. I want to talk about some other a- tours, though, some other directors, because I think Edgar Wright, absolutely for me, is a top one of my favorite all time directors. And it, it's it's wonderful to talk about a lot of his works. I think three of his best, you know, and we'll see after <laughs> this year, you know, where he's going to sit. But in terms of his top pictures. But, yeah, you know where does Edgar Wright sit? I feel like on your director totem pole and who else would you say are like among your favorite directors?
1: Well, for him specifically, I think because he works relatively sparsely, I feel I've kind of have a expectation of excitement for when one of his movies comes out. Mm -hmm. Like last night for Soho, I'm excited for it and I'm going to go see it as soon as I can. But because he has these nice, like, breaks where he takes his time with films, like, I feel like I'm not jumping at information like I would with, like, if QT, like, announces, Quentin Tarantino, if he announces, <laughs> like, this is my new movie, this is what it's about, I kind of want to know everything about it. Yeah. With uh, Edgar Wright, he is probably in my top ten of favorite filmmakers, but I'm always like, all right, right, I'm I know he's going to do something good, so right. it's like, I'm, like, here for it. And I had for, like, some of my... And I was trying to think of people who, like... I know filmmaker is a broad term, but the people who not necessarily wrote the scripts to and also directed, but just kind of seem like they have more of a hand in their films than just directing. Like, this is such a cop-out, but, I mean, like, Martin Scorsese is, like, he's probably my guy, but I hate admitting
0: that he's my guy. I I don't think there's anything wrong, though, with saying that Scorsese is a talented director. Like, he's... We wouldn't have Quentin Tarantino. We wouldn't have Edgar Wright. We wouldn't have mm-hmm. half of the directors we have today without Scorsese, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he kind of broke the mold of even what, you know, some of the USC film brats were doing. You know, it's like, he's like, no, no, no. You guys can go make your Close Encounters. I'm going to make Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, and we're going to just change the game here a little bit. Mm-hmm. So
1: And uh, what? Well, what's the common denominator of all these people is, they're a bunch of fucking movie nerds. Yeah. And I think that really comes into play that what makes a good filmmaker is you can just have this catalog, you know catalog style knowledge of film mm-hmm. and you can be like, you know, Quentin Tarantino is the big example for this. Like, I'm going to do a shot from you know, El Bravo <laughs> from this and it's going to be this canted angle from this Japanese, like, thing. I think these are guys who have encyclopedic knowledge of film and can execute
0: it. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think there was an interesting thing, too, um, even on the Peacock app, where they were like, Edgar Wright catered this list. And I remember, I think I was looking at something on HBO where they were like, oh, these are all of Idris Elba's favorite movies. And it was like a very, like, clean-cut list of, like, here's the Suicide Squad, because that's like, Mm. obviously, he's going to pick his own stuff. And it's like, here is... It was like Dirty Harry, and I'm like, he did not pick this. Whereas <laughs> you looked at this list on Peacock, and uh, and at first I'm like, okay, Night of the Living Dead, sure. But then you see American Werewolf in London, and then you see like five deep cuts, and I'm like, okay, he definitely picked this list. The one that, <laughs>
1: the one that surprised me was Dead Ringers on there, which is a movie I've never seen. I'm going to mm-hmm. watch because I love Jeremy Irons, and that's a Cronenberg, right? Oh, I think so. And uh, it's funny you brought that up. Last night we threw on, like, Bride of Frankenstein, The Shrinking Man. That Shrinking Man, that's a wild movie. I don't is know it? if you saw that. It's no. just pretty much them playing with forced perspective. Oh. But there is, like, a moment at the end with a giant tarantula. And I'm pretty much pretty easy when it
0: comes to big spiders in movies. Mm-hmm. I will be freaked out. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he picked a good one. I know there is a lot that I want to check out. I'm probably not going to get around to, but that's all right it's just, it's like, you can tell that a guy like Edgar Wright, like, especially when you look at a a list like that, that he has appreciation for all these people. But ultimately, he's going to pull from the things that you see references in his movie. It's like, yeah, the shrinking man. Like, you you probably has a lot that he wanted to put in Ant-Man that...
1: Oh, yeah. I didn't even make that connection, but I bet that was, like a thing he was looking back on is like, I'm going to use these forced perspective techniques. or I'm going to do a homage to this. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, In terms of trilogies though, I think it's interesting to bring up these three flavors, Cornetto trilogy, because it's not a traditional trilogy at all. It's Mm -hmm. the loose sense trilogy that you were talking about earlier with Thomas E. McKenzie of like, Oh, here are three movies where she's like kind of debuting on the scene you know, and it's like that's kind of what this trilogy is. It's same actors, but everything else is just there, there's loose connections between that, and mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: It's kind of like uh, the tr- like a tr- troop style where it's like mm-hmm. a traveling group of actors and a like director. Putting on his show and then like, you know, very simply like uh, Christopher Guest is kind of. Yes. It's like if Christopher Guest had Easter eggs for his own movies, like in his movies, because one thing I love about Edgar is I love like people who are self-referential in their movies Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't annoy me. Like Kevin Smith is a person who like half the time I'm fine with it, the other half I'm like, oh okay, okay, buddy,
0: we get it, man. You're referencing chasing Amy for like the hundredth time, like Mm -hmm. we get it. Like
1: when Edgar Wright does it, like a like a big one for me is when they're running through one of the bars and World's End, the pinball, the game machine that uh, Nick Frost character always plays in Shaun the Dead. That, like, makes the noise and alerts the zombies. Oh,
0: that's yeah. That's in the
1: background, and it makes, like, the same little dunk, 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 jingle. Oh, like,
0: I didn't even pick up on that. Mm,
1: yeah, like, he's he's doing Easter eggs and stuff, and it feels like it's... Who is this for? Because it's not for the average movie theater. No, it's for more more movie nerds like us, yeah. you know? No,
0: and that's exactly mm. what it is. He's putting that stuff out there because he knows he has fans. Um, I mean, yeah, I've got some some budget numbers here, too, about how he basically relied on people to come and see his movies because the budgets were astronomically low. It's unbelievable, actually. Yeah. So I just did a did some brief history just to kind of give some context on, you know, how even Edgar. Because right? I think it actually it really helps build how this whole Cornetto trilogy came together. Um, You know, he was born in Poole back in 1974. Both his parents were
1: artists and teachers. And I know, like, they would quit work and, like, we're going to be artists, but then they eventually had to go back to work. So he had that in his family, like, starving artists, people who are creatives.
0: Which is, like, I I feel like you need that kind of energy in order to fuel you from a young age, which Mm -hmm. he did. He started making movies at age 14. Where, you know, using a family, a gifted Super 8 camera. And then he won his, his next camera on a contest, which blew me away. Because I'm like, what, what is this show? I would have loved to have won a camera on a TV show contest. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, I think that's a, it's a big thing. Because it's like, you know, they let him go then to an art school at pool um well it was called pool college of art design now it's arts university Bournemouth. like um and that's where he started making his short films which is like mid 90s it just seems it's right but it's just in your brain you're like he can't be that old yeah he's he seems young but he's older than than, than he looks because yeah i mean well how old is Taika? he's got to be probably around the same age right yeah, definitely. I don't know. I just associate them because they seem just so tight together now. It's like them and, like, James Gunn. They all just, you're like, <laughs> you are like, what's up, bro? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it's interesting, though, because he basically got into his first TV show, which was a show called Asylum, which is actually where we met Simon Pegg and Jessica Stevenson um, back in 1996. And then it was in 98 that... Simon Pegg and Jessica Stevenson started developing Spaced and wanted Edgar Wright to direct the series. And, I mean, that's really where the whole kind of, like, journey to what we even have now begins. Like, are you, are you familiar with Spaced? Spaced is, like, one of my favorite TV shows.
1: Really? And I wrote, like, a six-episode TV show when I was in college, and it's very much in the theme of Spaced where... Each episode, I want it to be, like, homage but not parody of films. And that's what it does so great. And he continues to do in his movies, but that show is really just hitting on, like, movie scenes, like, nerd culture in such a
0: great way. It really gives you a nice taste of what we ended up seeing in this trilogy. Mm -hmm. Um, I I mean, that's really what the point I wanted to get to here, is just that, like, you don't have these movies without space and it just seems like such a a happy accident that they are like okay we met here because i mean you know you can credit simon pegg for what you want he was the co-writer in all these movies like the dude has some talent i mean even you know watching star trek beyond i was like oh you see that good and it's like yes
1: (laughs) and he writes on those too i think like star trek beyond especially i think he's like the co-writer for yeah
0: he kind of had to take the helm because i think JJ just. Dropped out because he wanted to go do Star Wars. And he's like, well, uh, what about this? Like, <laughs> we had a good thing going here, J.J. God, I got a whole hot takes on Abrams. So I'm just...
1: <laughs> More like cold takes.
0: Oh. Ooh. ooh. Yeah, there are some <laughs> cold takes. Um, yeah, so I think that's, that's really, though, it's a breaking point for Edgar Wright. Because he gets into this show. They get some success. It, I mean, it's a cult hit now, you know. I mean, and it's
1: all there in the show. Like anything you see in the Cornetto is already in the show. Yeah. The dialogue, the kinetic filming energy, the quick cuts, all yeah. that stuff
0: is like there. Mm hmm. Nick Frost comes in the scene, and mm-hmm. I mean, then you have. The whole thing. Nick it, Frost has real proud boy energy
1: in space.
0: He does. <laughs> he does. He's like, it actually kind of threw me off guard the first time I watched it. And he's just this like very militant neighbor. <laughs> and cause I feel like I've known guys like that in my life, but like, i don't know now you're almost like i wish it ain't no guys <laughs> <Yeah. that. laughs>
1: i love uh peter senna peter senna Finowitz. <laughs> i yeah, might have added a little extra in there but oh, uh oh. i love him and he pops up a lot one of the og pin, paintball episodes before community That's they had a paintball right. episode <laughs>
0: oh my god that is man i feel like it all just it all feeds into one thing or another mm-hmm. right like how many people did they inspire by doing that kind of like you know, I mean, the community does feel like in the very same spirit as space, like the American version, just totally different setting and all of that. But yeah, then you look at, you know, basically then the next movie project, the big movie project they get, Shaun of the Dead, that leads then into Hot Fuzz, and then ultimately to The World's End, with in between there, you've got, um, you know, Scott Pilgrim versus The World, which all of these are written and directed by... Edgar Wright. It looks like the only... I was trying to look at his filmography from that point forward. The only movies that he didn't have a directing credit on was Adventures of Tintin and Ant-Man, mm-hmm. which he should have had a directing credit on. We'll talk about that in uh, what could have been. Um, and then he did the Sparks Brothers movie recently that he yeah, that's re- the newer documentary. wrote but didn't direct?
1: It's a documentary about a band called the Spark Brothers. Okay. Are they real or is there? This... It's a real band. Okay. Yeah. It's like one of those like documentaries about a band where no one knows the band. And then when you watch the documentary, you're probably like, oh, these songs are good. Yeah. Just based off what I've heard. I know with Tintin, he was brought in by Spielberg to write and help out on it but he was either working on hot fuzz or world's end one of those films it could have been scott pilgrim i think mm-hmm. it was scott pilgrim so he actually had joe cornish who i don't know if you know joe cornish did attack the block yep. uh, the the king arthur movie recently yeah kid it would be king mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he had him work with him and that's kind of where joe cornish got his start although yeah. he hasn't gotten to make nearly enough films i think joe cornish is amazing He's been in talk for, like, Bond and stuff, and I'm, like, I'm there for Do that. Do it. I
0: mean, honestly, like, you watch Attack the Block, and that's that's such a fun movie. I, I actually did watch The Kid Who Would Be King, too, and I, I enjoyed it. It was
1: fine. Like, there was nothing wrong with what he did for that movie. Yeah, <laughs> but
0: it, it, did, it did miss a mass appeal, I feel like. And if it didn't have his name attached to it, I don't know that I would have seeked it out. Um mm-hmm. But I, I loved the Merlin in it. I
1: I have a big thing for who's that uh, actress who's the villain in it, and she was in
0: Doctor Sleep. Rebecca oh, yeah, Ferguson, and, and she's in Dune, yeah, Rebecca Ferguson, oh, yeah, oh, Rebecca Ferguson. She's, she's great in Dune. This is this is also a reminder to folks that if you've not watched Dune yet, I recommend it. It's I very enjoyable. I haven't watched Dune.
1: I'm going Sunday because I I know me, I can't watch it at home. I'm too. On my phone and in my own head. Yeah. So we're going to go... We're going to try to go see it at the Majestic. Okay. Because they have a... It's not called an IMAX, but it's a imax size screen. Right, right. Like, all so screen. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to find a showing that doesn't have a lot of people and just check it out there. Yeah. Because I need it big.
0: Yeah. I need no, it big. It's... It's... it's- it's good. I'm I, very excited. I, I wish I would have saved it for a theater again. I feel like I said the same thing with the Suicide Squad, but
1: mm-hmm. well, how did you? I know we're jumping around, but I, I don't think we have to talk about this long. How did you feel about Baby Driver? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it while I was watching it. Yeah, and I feel like it's a movie I don't think about, and also like it's got <laughs> it's got a little bit of a blot on it for me because of like that was right when all the Kevin Spacey stuff came out yeah. and. He's got lines in that movie that's like, and nobody likes taking candy from a baby. (laughs) And I'm just like,
0: It's going to be very hard, you know, especially with a movie like Baby Driver, to separate the art from the artist and not Edgar Wright. And it's not his fault. I think Mm -hmm. he was like, here, I have a chance to get Kevin Spacey for this movie. I'm not going to say no. Mm -hmm. But then again, it's like, if you had any idea, maybe you could have gone with, like, Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, like Lance Hendrickson. Just every every movie that Kevin Spacey was in, digitally put in Christopher Plummer. Now, <laughs> like, I like all. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like what was that one? All the money in the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. That that'd be great. Um, I think I like Baby Driver of all the movies so far. I think it's probably lower on the list for me. Um, I love the style because it's very him the music i think it was also very timely then too because it was right at the same time that another guardians movie came out and everyone's like these guys are very similar in the way that they love to like do record you know needle drops and mm-hmm. you know push like a lot of action forward they're very quippy but like i don't know it's there's something i think about the what guardians did with the ensemble versus baby driver that i was like yeah i think guardians did a little better
1: <laughs> i'll leave it with i think it's really cool john hamroll and baby driver because mm-hmm. he's like a maniac and
0: pretty great another underrated john hamroll so his he's reoccurring on curb and it's <laughs> he's good in curb good. i'm very excited to watch he's uh i
1: was gonna watch it last night the new episode then i saw it was 40 minutes long and yeah. it was like 12 30 at night and i oh, was like man. no
0: Save it. <laughs> the The best thing, and I, I couldn't geek out on this too much while I was watching it, but it's a big Albert Brooks episode. and Ooh. And I like, because I was watching it with my girlfriend, and I'm <laughs> just like, that's Albert Brooks. All I could think of, every time he talked, was that episode of The Simpsons where they like go to the other town. And he's like the Bonville. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, you want these moccasins? Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, I think, you know, overall though, his career has had. It's really been hit after hit. Like, has he had a a bomb yet? I don't think he's had. I mean, anything that would be a even a critical bomb. Like, yeah. Well, it's.
1: I'm surprised that they make money because I know my movie nerd friends like the Cornetto trilogy, and some people I talk to like know these movies. Yeah, but I'm surprised that he's consistently and maybe it's because he does like not a huge budget movie except for Scott Pilgrim, Mm -hmm. maybe Baby Driver. That he's able to kind of do what he wants. It's surprising that he comes out with a movie every couple of years and it's like his movie.
0: Yeah. I think the, the Blank Check podcast actually talked about this recently. That it's like if you're under a certain budget, you get full creative control. Mm-hmm. But once you start asking for money, that's when the studio gets to step in and start making the movie they want to make. Because um, one of the things about Shaun of the Dead was the budget was $6 million. Like that's nothing. Mm -hmm. especially even for 2004 like i can't think of many movies that you can make for six million or less um in total though the whole cornetto trilogy and i would assume the last movie uh, at the world's end had the most money 38 million that that's nothing that's that's like a quarter of a dune or something (laughs) (laughs) it is like i mean you think how much these blockbusters they're 100 million million dollar movies He's making it here for pennies on the dollar. No wonder studios love working with him. They're and they like, don't look shitty. No, they look great. They look like they're high budget movies or at least like moderately mm. budgeted. But he just maximizes where it goes because probably because he uses the same cast and everyone. I mean, he. it seems like he and Peg would be the guys who would defer their salary and be like, we want to make the movie we want. We're going to get Dalton. We're going to get, you know, Bill Nye for just 10 minutes and make our movie. Mm hmm. Because, um, yeah, they ended up grossing then, which is, this is not astronomical, but when you consider the budget, $156 million. It's like tripling your budget. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's five, yeah, five times what you invested in the movies Jeez. and you're, I mean, yeah, he's a money machine in that regard because they're not, they're not making a ton of money, but they're, they're not costing you anything. And they're critical darlings, like every single one of them.
1: I'd be curious to know what the budget is for last night in Soho. Mm. I don't know if that's reported this early or not. I bet you it could find it. <laughs> yeah, I want to know. Uh, I want to know what the budget is. Oh, they might not
0: have it yet. I don't think they report it till later. Because it, it might not officially be done, even though the movie's right. in the can. Uh, Yeah, nothing reported. Oh, no. Baby Driver was $34 million. 34 million. That's not bad. That made $277 million. The
1: guy just makes money. I would just want to know how much he paid Jamie Foxx, though. Oh. <laughs> that had to have been, like, at least $5 million.
0: But he does that in every movie, right? The other thing, you know, I wanted to mention about the Cornetto trilogy is, you know, speaking of a cast, there's seven cast members in each of the three movies. Same actors. Two of which, I'll give you the... The easy ones are Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. Who are the other five? Two are very notable names. Three are going to be tough, but you might be able to pick up their roles. So,
1: well, the two are are Bill Nye and Martin Freeman.
0: Yes, those are the two big ones. Those are the big ones. Okay. Yep.
1: Now, so this is where it gets hard. I have a guess, but I can't picture him in World's End. Is Rafe Spall? Um, Is he only in two of them?
0: Rafe Spall is... That's uh, one of the Andes. He's
1: one of the Andes, and he's the, you got red on you. Oh, that's that guy? Yeah, and you know he's Timothy
0: Spall's son, right? No, I didn't know that. You know,
1: uh, what's his name from Harry Potter?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was... So, okay, I was trying to picture him, too, because... A, I was getting stuck on who is he in Shaun of the Dead after I read this fact, and then B, I was like, "What? Who is this guy? Like in real life? Because he looks like somebody else." Mm-hmm. So that totally makes sense.
1: And then the is the other Andy in all three? Because I know he's in World's End. Uh, no, it's not him. Okay. Um, I'm I'm gonna so okay now. I don't know her name, but I keep thinking of people who are in two of them because. The first zombie that they throw the records at, I know is in the AA circle in The World's End. I don't know if she's in Hot Fuzz. She's not. She's not in Hot Fuzz. No. Is it any more senior citizens? Uh, yes. Oh, god. Yeah, I can't... I can't even think of three.
0: Um... Yeah, I can't think of three. Okay. So... You had it right with Martin Freeman is one. Bill Nye is the other. Rafe Spall. Um, Her name is... um, Julia Deacon. She is... So, she was the landlord on Spaced. Oh, yeah. Her. She is the... um, The bread and breakfast landlady in World's End. She is... Yvonne's mother, the one that's walking with, uh, uh, the other, the little girl from Spaced in Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's Mary Porter in Hot Fuzz. I'm pretty sure that is the shop owner? Or not? Yeah, it's, yeah, she's one of the people in the town, right? Yeah, I think she's, she either is the one that's in the tavern or the one that runs like the... Is she the one that's doing the crossword? I, maybe. Oof. Now it's... Oh, I might have to look up who Mary Parter is. Because um, now I'm like... Is she the one that's like... not nah, no luck finding them swans then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the one swan actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. And then the second one... Is... Patricia Franklin. And this one I struggled with. And I'm just checking this out too. Oh... She is the, no luck finding them swans. Okay. Yeah. So she was in all three as well. Um. Uh, one, she's a spinster in Shaun of the Dead, <laughs> and an upstairs beehive lady. In man, okay, that's so. These are
1: small. Okay, I don't feel as bad. I was getting like you got <laughs> Rafe the three. Small big is ones. the good
0: pull. I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, uh, let's get into the highlights. I think that's the perfect time to get into it. Is. He has a great actor pull in every movie, and the one missed opportunity was not casting a Bond in Shaun of the Dead.
1: Right, which I wonder
0: if he could have gotten, like, Beard or something. At that point, you could have got Daniel Craig, like, right? Yeah. Like, he was, that was way before he got, what well, he wasn't Bond yet, though, so that's the other problem. Yeah,
1: he had the first Bond, but I still think, like... What we know about Daniel Craig and him and um, him being in Knives Out and all that, and maybe he's different now because after all this James Bond time, he wants to be goofier, mm-hmm. but I think he likes being funny. Yeah. So I think if they would have given him, like,
0: a good role somewhere, you know, he would have killed it. Yeah. He's definitely, he's got that, like, Chris Hemsworth feeling to him of, like, We're going to put you in serious roles like, no, 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 I'm going to do better with comedy. Like, let's let's Mm -hmm. do this. Um, Because, yeah, I think I mean, we'll definitely get into that piece of it all. But the casting is easily one of the biggest highlights, I think, for this whole trilogy. It's just like, how on earth did he know? It's like, how did he know? I mean, he knew that these people were good. Right. But it's just I think. When we talk about Hot Fuzz, which I, I do want to get into that right now, is he's got Olivia Coleman in a side role.
1: Is it the lady from The Favorite?
0: Yeah. She's the, the what is she, the Queen? Queen Elizabeth in The Crown. She's in, you know, uh, uh, Fleabag. She's a stepmom in that. It's just like, yeah, Olivia Coleman's blowing up. I was like, she's arguably the biggest actress in this movie, or the biggest actor in this movie. And she's a bit part. And she's in Hot Fuzz or? Yeah, Hot that's Fuzz. She's thought. one of the, yeah, the cop team.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: She's one of the cop. Because she's so
1: like, she is in that zone of when she was in the awards show and she won that award. Uh-huh. That's like her character in Hot Fuzz. Yes. <laughs> oh, I know.
0: She feels like that's her who she is in real life, mm-hmm. which is funny because she's so self-deprecating. You know who else was one short of a trilogy? Who's that? Filch. Yes, he was. Ann Serafinowicz was also in the third one. He was? Yes. Which I had to look up because I found it and they are like, yeah, he plays um, some redheaded guy. And I'm like, what? Mm. <laughs> so, but they were close, but no cigar. There's a lot of twos. There's two- a lot of
1: twos and it's twos. killing me because those yeah. would have been the, the ones I'd like to show off with. <laughs> but yeah,
0: right. But it's hot flies. I mean, you got Jim Broadbent. You've got Timothy Dalton. You have Olivia Coleman, you have Martin Freeman, Bill Nye, Kate Blanchett. I mean, even if these but guys Kate are Blanchett's
1: in, the one. It's a bit part, right? Like, you have to have a sense of humor to be that role because it's like, oh, we're gonna have you in it and no one's gonna see you. But I mean, those eyes don't lie. No, those eyes do not lie. You know,
0: you know who she is right mm-hmm. away. Um, I'm trying to to find his name. I mean, it's the Hound. He he's like groided big Billy Zane, I always think. Yeah. Of. What's his name though? I got it's like what's what's even the character's name? I can't even think of it now. Uh Grop. No. That, that's, that, gro- that's That's very <laughs> funny. Uh I think his name is Rory something. Yeah. Like Rory can Yeah, Rory McCann. Yeah. That's him. Which it's like even just playing a grunt. And I think especially after seeing Game of Thrones and you know, he can be very verbose and mm-hmm. like, he's like, I ain't doing your fucking tasks. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's just like to hear him just being downgraded to like a one note, like mm-hmm. lunk. It's, it's just such a good turn for him. What was funny, because I'm
1: pretty sure they shoot hot fuzz in the town that he lived in for a while. Okay. Because he apparently lived like in time in a small town, and he worked at a supermarket very similar to the supermarket. Was he the cart boy? <laughs> he, he, he was a loader, and he said that he wanted to have his boss's name in it, but he couldn't because the boss's name was Stockwell. Oh. And he thought that was too much of a clever bit. Like, no one would believe that was real. Like, oh, man. You're going to have your grocery guy called Stockwell. Yeah. And apparently he was a Freemason, but didn't keep it on the hush. He'd be like, going to a meeting tonight. <laughs> it's at the uh, drawing room. <laughs>
0: secret Mason meeting. <laughs> and he'd be like, you
1: can't, you're not supposed to tell me. And it's just funny that, like, Hot Fuzz is about secret societies in a small town. Oh,
0: my God. Which is, like, right on. Right mm-hmm. on, like.
1: <laughs> I just can already picture it. like that. I got a big night tonight.
0: Big Mate night tea. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Can't talk about it though. Can't talk about it. basins. <laughs> <laughs> it's um. I mean, I think it's illogical to talk about Hot Fuzz. Cause I think, it, in my opinion, best of the three. Which one's your favorite? It is. It's Hot Fuzz for me because also
1: I think we may like it better because did you did you see it in theater? Yes. You, I don't know if you knew that you were in for, like, the similar style. I know the actors were in it, but I didn't know, like, I was going to get the exact same kind of treat. Yeah. And when I sat into it and realized that this is going to be the same but way different. Mm-hmm it made it better. So I don't know if that adds to it, but it's definitely my favorite. It also because it's a love letter to dad action movies, and that's like a big part of like me, you know, and my growing up is watching like crappy dad action movies. Oh yeah. And then it's the one that I actually find eerie of the three. Like shawn the Dead doesn't scare me at all. The third one's, you know, sci-fi is just cool and weird. Yeah. There's like kind of weird eeriness about like old people who have secret societies it almost kind of very different but similar to midsummer to me where it's like this is a town or a place that's got its own vibe these people are weird but it seems friendly
0: you know yeah you know that's a very interesting thing because we actually talked about that yesterday i was talking with uh, jasmine and we because i was like well i was like we watched these three i was like i know hot fuzz isn't the you know, a horror one or Halloween. She goes, there's a murder in that. She goes, there is a secret society. There are like bones and stuff. She's like, it's kind of <laughs> kind of spooky. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I guess when you think about it, it really is sort of a, a weird kind of like, yeah, like a cult movie as much as it is like a buddy cop movie. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And it's got, I think it's the, it's gorier than Shaun the dead based on just the one Timothy
0: Dalton. Oh, death. well, he doesn't die. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's I didn't even think it. That, uh, <laughs> I remember I'm like, oh, nobody wants to die like that. And he's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just like sad dog noises. I know. And he's like, I need ice cream. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's such a ridiculous movie, but it really just is. I think because it's just so well acted, it's like every beat pays off. Like there, it's like when, when he first gets to town, not Simon Pegg, and you have Nick Frost asking him all the questions. Like, you ever jumped through the air with two guns? You ever, you know, just fired at somebody while you're driving? You ever done this and that? And it's like by the end of the movie, all of those things happen in that last, like, 20-minute stretch where they're, like, you know, coming after the caller. Like, we're going to blow this whole fucking thing open. And, like, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's a movie that, I mean, all of his movies are so self-aware. You can talk about the worlds then, how, like, each bar is kind of, like. It's a pl- metaphoric
1: of the situation. Yeah, the thing or-
0: the names describe what's actually going to be happening in that
1: scene, right? Mm-hmm. In Shaun of the Dead, he calls the shot of the plot in the bar. Like, I forget the dialogue, but he's, like, back here for shots at blank. Mm-hmm. And he goes through all the stuff, and it's the same, where it's, like, a, kind of similar to what happens to them. Back here for shots at the bar, they get the shotgun at the end. Yeah. But, yeah, I recommend anyone read that scene where he's, like, planning out their day. It's literally, like, all
0: the stops Oh, man, that's Mm a that is actually it's it's such a trademark. I feel like even if you go beyond this trilogy, it's very apparent in this, but he always pays off like every little breadcrumb or every little like Chekhov's gun that he throws in the movie. It always comes back and pays off. It's like that's the sign, I feel like, of a good director, too, or good writers, you know, that they are just like, here's our bit. Here's how we're gonna pay this off, you know, in Act 24. Like, you know, it's very
1: Zemeckis. Yeah, because he's very much a, you know, I'm gonna set this up, and then it's gonna all like pay off and like pop up right when it needs
0: to. Exactly. I right. love
1: also like we talked about how like, uh, kind of the how the bars in the World's End represent the scenes. Hmm. I also just love how I know for a while there was saying that Shaun the Dead is a metaphor about being like in a serious relationship, how you have to kill off your best friend and your mom
0: to be in a serious relationship. (laughs) Oh Yeah, I suppose. That's interesting. I never (laughs) thought about it that way. That, that really is a whole allegory for that. I was even going to say now that movie hits a little harder in a pandemic or Mm -hmm. having gone through a pandemic where it's like, okay, here's what it's like to be cut off from the outside world where you're holed up and you know you do have to like pick am i gonna go help my mom do i have to deal with this person you know oh I hate these friends and it's like you start like telling people like, hard truths and you know mm-hmm. it's like are you gonna put up with your friend who's like negligent about the whole manner it, it really was like oh you just you can't help but think about it because like here's a pandemic here's how things responded and it's like yep yeah, that, that checks out mm-hmm. <laughs> um but I think, you know, the tension still all holds up, even knowing I mean, you know, having watched it for like the 10th time, it's like knowing who's going to die. I'm still just like, oh, man, they're going to make it this time. Yeah. The deaths are impactful,
1: which is like, again, what makes it different from like a scary movie mm-hmm. is like, yeah, you
0: sell the drama,
1: you sell the horror and you sell the comedy. You sell yeah.
0: it all. It's a it really is. It's a masterclass. It's really like a great debut for him. Such a good table setter. Uh, I did want to talk about the world's end, though, too. Cause I again, it's kind of a surprising highlight for me. I thought I was going to struggle with this movie, because I remember seeing it in theaters as well. Post Scott Pilgrim, I was like ramped. Up. I'm like Agaroy, right. Mm-hmm. and I just remember kind of being disappointed a little bit because it felt like. And, and one thing that did hold up that I remembered is that it starts slow and it does start pretty slow. It takes it kind of forced a little bit in getting everybody together, but then. It really picks up in that too. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I don't know. What, what were your takes on the World's End? Did you see it in theaters?
1: I did. I I kind of, I I do have weird feelings about it because, like, a I do think we are like not quite at the age to appreciate it because it is kind of like these are people like hitting forty, kind of realizing where their life is, and I feel like we're around thirty. Kind of realizing our lives, and I thought I actually really liked the very very beginning of the movie where it's like the montagey stuff and it has like the younger versions of them because it was like this also kind of looks like a spaced episode. Yeah, and I I don't really think they sold like the not they did they sold the friendship well enough because those guys all are great together, but I don't think like the friendship uh, pathos and like story of it hit as well for me. But also I did feel like sort of attacked because I do have different groups of friend where I feel like the Simon Peg, where I am trying to grab onto that like childhood because yeah. like, I feel in my head, I'm like, I know when I have to do business, but if I'm with my friends, I want to act like I'm a teenager yeah. in some regard, you know, like you got to be careful, but, and I guess I didn't like, it seemed like it was a really, like you had to kind of get rid
0: of all that to grow up. And I'm yeah. like, you don't have to. I mean, I think, to that point, yes. I would definitely say I was very much in that mindset the first time I saw the movie. I was like, I don't get this at all. Like, this is how I am with my friends. Why is, Why don't they like Simon Pegg? Mm-hmm. And Why then, don't
1: they like shots? Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but then he's like eight years later, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm an older man now. I'm like, you know, it's like a lot of people I have friends with have settled down. And I think I have equal frustrations with each side of the coin where I'm like, I can't stand people who are too immature now and just want to go and like, you know, get ripped. And I'm like, come on. What, how old are we? But then, you know, you know, the other thing too, I'm like, pub crawl looks really fun. Pub crawl Mm -hmm. buddies. looks like a good time. I'm like, we can't be that lame, you know, in our thirties now that we can't do this anymore. I mean, again, coming out of a, you know, or coming through a pandemic, it's like, well, when is that going to be appropriate doing all that? But it also was just sort of like, come on. Like, you know, you don't have to be this kind of old to And I think there is some of that in that movie of like, mm-hmm. you don't, your life's not over at 40. Like you, you can still have fun. You can still go and hang out with your buddies. Like you don't have to check in, you know, every hour on the hour. It's like live your life. So, mm-hmm.
1: which I feel he strikes that better with Sean as a character. Cause he's a character who's a slacker, but he really cares about things and yes. people. And I think that's a really, well-made complicated version of a person who doesn't have it all together versus the world's end i feel it's a little too cartoonish yes and then they try to sell moments where like oh he finished everyone's drink he's got like a real problem and it just doesn't work for me
0: yeah it it's a movie that definitely tried to play some more serious themes but it just didn't i don't know it it very much clashed with his style. I thought the action, though, once everything got going with the, like, the robots, like really started to hit a little bit better. Rosamund Pike all of a sudden showing up pre-Gone Girl. I'm like, mm-hmm. holy smokes. <laughs> like, right. It's like, because you like, know what she's capable of, and you're like, you could have thrown a lot of content at this woman. And she oh, would have yeah. like, just run with it. It's
1: relatively thankless it is for that movie and i feel he does pretty well you know the female characters in the other movies don't have a lot to do i think they're a little more rounded like his girlfriend is a quote-unquote nagging girlfriend but it's not like in a disrespectful way she's like meaningfully nagging him yeah. you know if
0: that makes sense no it does i think that's maybe something that could come up here in coulda woulda shoulda is maybe just the The treatment of, I think, some female characters that even like Hot Fuzz is kind of very understanding of. For our next segment, then, we are going to do coulda, woulda, shoulda, which is uh, every week we talk about things that we would have loved to seen out of the franchise itself, whether it is an additional, you know, installment or if it is something that we wish they would have done differently with the current installments. Um, I think we have a lot of potential here with Edgar Wright. Um, mostly from him as a director, but also potentially some stuff we would have liked to see with the movies themselves. What, where would you kick off with, uh, something that you would have loved to have seen or, you know, one way or another? Um,
1: well, I feel I don't want to talk around it too much cause I know we both have a lot to say, but for the could've, if we're looking at the past, it's gotta be the Ant-Man movie. Oh Yeah. Because the concerns with that movie was that was at the time in Marvel where they were getting their house style, like, this is how it's gonna go. Feige was becoming more the guy who's like, I have a plan for this, this is what's gonna look like. But to be honest, I feel it was early enough they could have had a wacky movie. Yeah. Like, and I don't really I don't recall that Ant Man movie that well. But I don't remember bigger world things in that movie that much. It's a pretty contained movie.
0: Yeah, which really is where I think I struggled, especially because Guardians came out around the same time and Gunn got a ton of free reign. So I don't know if Edgar Wright just had too different of a look because he does like to do a lot of like the quick cuts and a lot of like, Mm -hmm. you know, like very kind of almost like an ADD. Kind well, I, I do know, I do
1: know stuff. Oh, I did some research.
0: Oh, and uh, yes. he
1: was actually on Mick Garris' podcast, which I recommend. It's called Postmortem. Do you know Mick Garris's? No, I do not. He is the guy who he direct. He he's directed a lot of shitty horror in the best way possible. He's made the Sleepwalkers movie, which is the cat horror movie that's written by Stephen King. It's not based off a book. Okay. He's also he directed or wrote. Um, Hocus Pocus. He's the guy oh, sent the, okay. where he said, it's like, it's time for me to get my money <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and uh, he was on there and he was saying that he had a script and he was set to direct. He picked Paul Rudd. Like, that was his choice. Wow. You know, Which he liked great. Paul Rudd. The thing, what happened was the studio said they want to send him a rewrite draft from like their house guy or in studio person. Mm-hmm. Or it could have been, I can't think of the director's name, the guy who ended up helming it. um, Peyton Reed. (laughs) Peyton Reed. Maybe he wrote the script, and pretty much he told himself that Edgar Wright said he's going to look at the script, and when he looked at the script, he said, well, this is kind of not my baby anymore. And apparently it was a super amical split. He said he wasn't really interested, and they said it was fine. Mm. So I doubt it will ever happen. Maybe now that we're getting movies like The Eternals, but I, I like to think that the door is still open for him to make a Marvel movie, especially if you
0: think about Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, which it seems like would very much be his thing. Which, like, I'm glad that maybe there is a door open, though, too, depending on how his couple movies coming up here do. I mean, I feel like Last night Soho is going to do a lot for what, what opportunities come up. But, you know... X-Men's going to presumably come over mm. um you know it's like there's a lot of different characters a lot of new characters you can tell stories about like I'm doing like Man, you know, you think just Wolverine is simple or like, you know, a Gambit movie finally, <laughs> maybe with mm. or without Channing Tatum.
1: I want, I want Fukunaga to do the Gambit movie because, like, I want like a real Southern movie because yeah. isn't Gambit from like Louisiana yeah, or New Cajun, Orleans? Yeah. I'd love like a real Cajuny, true detective but funny sort mm. of like
0: goofy. Yeah, I don't know. I'd love that. That would be good. I would, um, I would love to see, yeah, Edgar Wright, though, even just tackle some DC. Like, it's just sort of like the revenge trip sort of like gun, right? It's like, well, mm-hmm. if Marvel doesn't want me and they're not going to let me do my thing, I'm going to go to Warner Brothers, who's mm-hmm. probably going to let me do my thing. And then after that, he can go back and do it more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that seems how it works. I mean, I would love to see him do something real goofy at DC, just like, oh, man, like a Green Arrow movie. or like, I
1: like that. Like, yeah, I would say don't touch my Batman. Yeah. I, I'm very, I'm very touchy with my Batman. Keep it dark. Don't make it too goofy. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely.
0: But like you know, there's a, plenty of other DC properties oh, yeah. that could be picked up, and it's like, why not? I'd want him to pick up one where I'm like, who? <laughs> oh man, I mean, because those actually do play well. Like I'm, I felt like the same thing. I, I no guess one I knows I, Guardians I kept, New Guardians. I kept going. Yeah, Guardians. Like, nobody knew who they were. I mean, I'm kind of hoping Eternals has the same thing. Um, We'll see what happens with that one. I've been, (laughs) it's been a little Mm -hmm. up and down in the early Well, I feel
1: both like Shang-Chi and Eternals were very in the universe, yet out of the universe. And I don't see him going back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'd be very surprised. Yeah. Like I said, I, I mean, honestly, I think a person of
0: color should direct this, but I think he'd be really good with a Miles Morales movie. That would be fun, actually. But I also agree. I think you should put that in the hands of somebody who knows that you know viewpoint in life, mm-hmm. and that's it, it's going to resonate more. But that's also Sony's call, technically, isn't right. it? Yeah. yeah,
1: but I'm saying I kind of would like him to go in the Sony pool versus the like. I'll, I'll, I'd rather
0: him make Venom
1: three than like yeah. make Winter Soldier four or whatever. Yeah, no, I,
0: I fully agree. I'll put it on the line here right now. I think Miles Morales in some shape or form is showing up in this new Spider Man. I there's there's just too much potential.
1: Well, his unc childish Gambino is his uncle in yeah. the movies, right? Yep. I just wonder if they're ever gonna do anything with that. Well,
0: I thought it'd be fun. Like, why don't you do like the best thing I ever heard, even like it was like a while ago with Spider Man. <laughs> totally off the rails here, but um Is having like somebody like Giancarlo Esposito be like an old Miles Morales, and I was like, that would be freaking dope. Like he's kind of the Peter in Into the Spider Verse, and he's kind of teaching Tom Holland how to be like, here's how you be Spider Man. I mean, obviously, we're expecting Toby's going to show up and be that guy, but still, it's like, Mm -hmm. wouldn't that be something to be like, Miles is the seasoned veteran who knows the thing, and like, you know, here's an older version. But even like. Donald Glover could potentially be that guy, too. Like, was he supposed to be the
1: guy who's Night Prowler? Yes, or, Okay. Yeah, the Prowler. Because I, I think he could do, like, a kind of interesting villain with his persona now. Because yeah. he's not the, like, intense guy. He's very much the laid-back, kind yeah. of, like, dark secret guy. And I was like, I kind of like a villain who's, like, kind of chill like that. But then the next moment, they're like, the other person's dead. Yeah, so, he's, you know. he's
0: not Donald Glover of Community. He's Donald Glover of Atlanta now, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, that show is great. Um, I, yeah, I think that something like that would be great. I was even thinking, you know, Tarantino's boasted. He has this Star Trek script. Like put that in Edgar Wright's hands. Who else could do something good with I it? I would love them to like a Tarantino script and then a, a directed Edgar Wright movie. That's like holding like candy. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem was Edgar Wright would be too tempted to, to mess with it and be like, oh, we just got to tweak this and that. I don't, I've never seen this movie. I don't know what that is. <laughs> true, <laughs> true.
1: <laughs> I, um, I had an idea that he would never do, would have no interest in doing, is, uh, especially after if you look at Scott Pilgrim, mm-hmm. I want to give him, like, a three-picture deal for the Mario trilogy.
0: Oh, my god. And gosh. I
1: want it to be Mario, Mario Kart, Super Mario Bros., no, Super Smash Brothers. Oh. And it's like, so it's not even technically a Mario, it's like a weird Nintendo, and I just feel like he has no interest in doing this. He's no. probably not even the right age for it anymore. Like, you want someone who's, like, our age who's in the business to make this. Yeah. But just imagine, like, that Scott Pilgrim
0: aesthetic for a Mario movie. It would be actually very fun to see that. Now, would it still be Chris Pratt, though, as Mario? No, it would definitely not.
1: I want him to pick someone like Bob Hoskins,
0: like, <laughs> who's like, oh, this is perfect. I it like, shouldn't be. It Honestly, <laughs> like... It's interesting that they went with Pratt. I I know why they did it. I get why they did it. But it's also like because they were like, oh, we're going to grab Ben Schwartz to be Sonic, which was inspired because Ben Schwartz can do that kind of like high energy. He
1: also already kind of sounds like Urkel. Like he has like that
0: voice. (laughs) It like it fits because I remember originally too being like Ben Schwartz. I'm just like, that's John Ralphie. And then you listen to him do Sonic. and You're like it plays it definitely plays and you're just like because it, and it's also nice that it's not somebody like a ryan reynolds where he brings that pikachu like, like he brings he's basically his personality in pikachu's body mm-hmm. right and instead it's like no ben schwartz is sonic like and now i feel like we're gonna get more though of like here's chris pratt doing chris pratt things is mario i'm like i don't know it's weird that charlie Day is luigi too because
1: i always pictured luigi because luigi doesn't have a lot of Character development in the games, TV no. shows, but I picture him as a chill dude. Like yeah. I picture Mario, like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta go save the Peach. I gotta go do this, and Luigi just like, when do we start? Like, I feel <laughs> like that's Luigi style. Like, like what do you yeah, need, Mario? Brother?
0: Mario, let me, let me tell you <laughs> something. If <huh? laughs> <laughs> you, you eat mushrooms, it, it's getting out of control here. <laughs> I want <it> to be. <laughs>
1: I want it to be like in the town where Ben Affleck walks into Hawkeye's like house. He's like, I want you to come do some things with me. I can't tell you where we're going. And then he's like, whose car we taking? (laughs) I want it to be like that.
0: Renner would have been an interesting pick for that too. Renner would be a great Luigi. (laughs) Jerry Renner is Luigi. Mm -hmm. I'm here for it. I want all that. That's a, no, that's a good, that's a good pick. Um, um, I was gonna, I'm sorry,
1: jump in. I was gonna say, I had part of my coulda, woulda, shoulda's the idea of
0: a fourth Cornetto. Oh, what I, theme would you do?
1: I had two things, and they're not even, I'm not in love with them, so I'm kind of like, maybe he shouldn't do this. Yeah. But, I kind of want, like, a Christmas movie. <laughs> like, I would love a holiday movie. I think he could do something with that, and I really like, um... I think he could do kind of like something that's got like a genre thing to it. Like a horror Christmas movie. I don't know if you ever seen Rare Exports. No. That's like a movie that kind of balances that pretty well. Or even Krampus. Oh. Which is like that kind of... It's very much a Joe Dante style movie. Like Gremlins. I'd love something like in the vein of Gremlins. And that was on his list of movies. Or i just put Medieval. Which... I was kind of picturing that uh Danny McBride movie that's not very good your highness Oh, but him doing it but Edgar Wright doing it kind of like Slackers in the Medieval but yeah then again you can't really cast Simon Pegg and Nick Frost as like slacker dudes anymore they kind of have to have more of a grown-up role I a think a little bit
0: yeah but also I feel like if he's going to add any kind of like darker elements or like maybe even like if I, for some reason my brain's going to like Christmas horror or, like Black Christmas or Christmas or horror medieval, which is like Army of Darkness. It's like, well, then you're basically just doing a rehash, which maybe he could do a pretty good turn on it, but I don't know. I think those definitely would be fun to see. I was even thinking just doing like, if he was going to do something more horror themed for another movie, he could do like another like Haunted House, which would kind of be fun, or maybe just a straight up slasher, kind of take Hot Fuzz to like the next step of like, what if like, like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost were like detectives, not the same guys from mm-hmm. hot fuzz, but just totally different where. What if like, I would love a slasher
1: at a Harry Potter esque school, like an English oh. prep school, but
0: like kind of do it where it's like, this isn't Hogwarts, but y'all mm-hmm. know this is Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of love that too though. Cause I think it does have something that's like, it's that tongue in cheek of like, here's a fantasy world, but yeah, there's just straight up like just some dude murdering people. That <laughs> is a thing, isn't it? Like isn't there like a fantasy story where they are like investigating like I feel like you know what it is? I'm thinking of um did you ever play Wolf Among Us? It's a telltale game though, so the Wolf oh, Among okay. Us is based on um it's like fairy tale creatures, but they're like what if they like live in like
1: Yeah, they're world? like in normal like they're in Brooklyn or
0: something. Oh right? it's, it's killing it's me. It's like I a re- noir. Yeah, I read the whole thing too, and I'm like I can't think of what it it's called anymore. <laughs> um But I love something like that,
1: for sure. And before, I'd be like, well, they've got their three movies. But ever since uh, Toy Story 4, I feel that's what I shove in everyone's face. Yeah.
0: You know? Fables is the name of the the book that I was thinking of. Um, Yeah, I know. And Toy Story 4, I'm still mixed on. (laughs) (laughs) I like it better than 3. What? Oh. Mm. We're talking about this another day. (laughs) The Toy Story episode. Uh, But I guess... Where I was trying to get to with even with the trilogies too, because I was going to ask you about, you know, what are some of your favorites? But I really, I, I kind of think the question I want to know here: Do you prefer kind of the threaded story of a trilogy, or do you kind of like that more anthology feel? And I kind of think about like Indiana Jones, like as like an, an anthology, where it's like, yes, it's the same movie, it's the same character. But he's doing totally different things in each one.
1: You're picking it up at different times, potentially. Yeah. With the second one being a prequel. Um, I had, like, the lame answer of, well, it all depends. Uh, <laughs> and the reason is because, yeah, like, trilogies like Lord of the Rings in some to some extent Planet of the Apes, although I don't love the last movie, I feel is relatively tight storytelling. Mm-hmm. But I also feel we look at, like, the most recent trilogy of Star Wars... Where it's like they're trying to thread it, but they have the missing pieces, so it doesn't yeah. really come as one. But I do think there's merits to having the kind of Indiana Jones-style dropping in thing. The only thing that you lose with that, you get the blank slate of kind of starting over with a familiar character. Um, but what you lose is kind of that pathos. And the big example, and I was going to ask you before we start recording, but I'm going to
0: ask you on air. All right. Can
1: I spoil No Time to Die?
0: I've watched it. I know you have. but Okay, well, we'll give spoiler warnings spoiler here. If you have not seen the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die, please hit fast forward on your recording right now. We
1: are in spoiled territory. Spoiler so, territory. Uh, that, I know that's not a trilogy, but because I would describe James Bond when you have one actor, it's very much like Indiana Jones. We're like, oh, we're finding him here. Yep. When at the end of that movie, when they try to sell me a death of Indiana or Indiana Jones, of James Bond, when he dies, I didn't really feel much. Yeah. And I think that's the big kind of uh, split for me between having something that kind of picks up randomly, having a new story, versus having a threaded story where you can have those big moments. You can have. I'm sorry for not using another no I'll use a trilogy Lord of the Rings I mean like just the build up of that him yeah putting the, the dang ring in the fire yeah like is built up to that I felt in like no time to die they all of a sudden decide to do that and it didn't work for me so that's why I say it depends
0: yeah I kind of feel that because I actually I did feel that too that moment too because I was still sad it's like oh they're gonna do this but I think what also hurt it for me you know because I'm a I have a reader online or whatever is I read like oh then the title credits are in the end credits. They put James Bond will return. Now I go, well, how does that work? Like, you just made a statement that this is it for this character, but yet you want to bring back James Bond, unless they're going to validate the whole theory of, like, he's a different guy with the same code name of James Bond 007. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Which
1: they murkered that up a little bit
0: with the 007 thing with the other uh, agent, so... I, I, I hear you, though. I guess... There's something to – because, I mean, I guess in the accurate form, right, a trilogy should be telling one story, right? So it's like mm-hmm. I think maybe even the question is a little loaded. But I think at the end of the day, too, it's like, okay, we accept a trilogy as just a three-movie or three-story deal that all are somehow loosely connected by one kind of mainstream. It's just mm-hmm. like our franchise podcast here, right? It's a franchise in the loosest sense of the term. Because th- is this really even a franchise? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. But he made it so by calling it a trilogy. So. Yeah.
1: Well, the water also gets a little murkyed up because we live in a world where everything's getting sequelized and reboots, so our trilogies aren't trilogies anymore. Well, Like, Toy Story was going to be one that I was going to put on. I'm like, that's a great trilogy. Then I was like, well, no, it was that fourth one. It's a quadrilogy. Or, like, Aliens, you know? Like, yeah. I think the... Original Alien 3, like, the, or 1, 2, and 3 are a nice tight trilogy. But then you could think of, like, the other
0: section as a trilogy or the next, you know, so. Well, it's like, yeah, it keeps, I think that's the one thing, too, I was even going to get to is our trilogy's dying because we're going to get, I mean, arguably one of the best three movie runs that is not going to end with that. Number three is John Wick. I was like, this is an excellent trilogy that they're like, we're playing with house money. We're going for number four. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, do it, though. Like, I would love to see that because it's it's already ramping Mm -hmm. up for another story. Like, it's just becoming Fast and Furious where everything's going to be a 5 to 10 movie Mm -hmm. deal. Um, I think Marvel kind of broke that model a little bit by telling people, like, you ain't got to stop at 3 or 2 or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, Well, then I feel another kind of downside of the
1: trilogy. It's not a downside of the trilogy. It's just how it can be kind of used is people don't necessarily put the effort into the individual pieces versus the whole. We saw that very recently with the Halloween Kills. Yeah. I have a feeling the third one's going to be better than the second one. It has. To I, be. Don't gonna, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's going. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be much better. But I have a feeling they had like a good idea for what they wanted out of a trilogy, and they were like, "Well, we need a middle movie where yeah. this is going to happen." So I love the idea of three movies. That tell one story and they're all individually satisfying but i think that's just a really
0: hard needle to thread it is well and think about it too in terms of like how a lot of tv so or tv series are structured now right you typically have i, I, I think it's becoming a more popular model i'm thinking of like back to Watchmen. there was a eight episode mini that was 45 hour episodes each so you calculate that out that's almost eight hours right Three movies could be about what seven and a half hours if they're each two out, two and a half hours each. Mm-hmm. Like, probably like this Halloween trilogy that we're going to be getting here. And it's very much just like the format is that we want to tell an eight hour story now, or you know, like a seven to eight hour story. That's going to require multiple installments in order to give you the proper tools to get, which I mean, I'm on board for because I feel like we're getting better stories by giving more time to get character building and world building. But then you have stuff like Halloween Kills where I'm like, what did we learn? We have the little boy from the first one who just turns into big, angry Anthony. Like, oh, Michael. Mm-hmm. He's got
1: real anti-vaxxer energy in it, too. Serious. (laughs) Is he an anti-vaxxer? No, I don't think he... But, so I think Michael Hall seems like one of those, like, dudes. Like, I heard an interview with him on the King cast. Mm -hmm. And, like, he was talking about, like, actors, like, who are, like, in the media. And he was like, well, we know... Johnny Depp is going through his trials and tribulations, and I, like, <laughs> the, the way he said it was like, uh, like
0: <laughs> so that could easily be me at any yeah, point." Like, yeah, you know? that
1: was that was the vibe I got yeah. from him. An actor who I think he's got a real intense presence now, which is the most hilarious thing to me. Yeah, because <laughs> like, he's really good in The Dark Knight for that one scene. Yeah, the so
0: one scene. It is really interesting how he plays like bit parts. I we're totally off. <laughs> <laughs> the rails <the laughs> of this, but I love I, it. <laughs> I still want to talk about it because it is, I think when you do think about, I mean that even the dark Knight trilogy itself, it's, it's still a one threaded story that is picking it up at multiple points in his career as Batman. And I, that's what I loved about it.
1: I was, I'm surprised we didn't say dark Knight. I would put that as a very successful trilogy because people hate on the third one. I think the third one's
0: pretty good. I I have <laughs> no problems with it. It's. I think again. It's just like the Cornello trilogy. It is the probably my least favorite of the three, but I still liked it. Like mm-hmm. it's all good. So it's just I, you got to pick one or the other. And it's so hard to stick the landing. I just. Again, we'll see how John Wick does it. Even with the fourth one, mm-hmm. Matrix is going to be added. And a Mel
1: Gibson-led TV
0: series? Oh, <laughs> what a miss. <laughs> what an absolute miss. I just like they
1: have the guy from The Wire. Isn't he the head of the Continental? I just yeah, Lance something, not Hendrickson, but he's got a name very similar to Lance Hendrickson. Yeah, no, I know who
0: you're talking about. Um, I can't think of his name right now, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's just it's rough. But no, I think that's a that's a great one too. Dark Knight is i think that's probably the best balance of what we're talking about of like it's a threaded story of one character but it's not like back to the future where it's like doc shows up at the end picks up marty we're going to the future here okay now we gotta go back way to the past and now you gotta pick my ass up and it's just like and i think somehow that trilogy's aged better Because it did commit to the fact that it's like we are going to do one straight on story rather than pick up Marty from, I don't know, like 10 years later and be like, okay, hey, uh, you want to go time travel again? (laughs) He's like, isn't this a problem? This (laughs) was a problem, right? (laughs) Well,
1: that's also the other issue with trilogies and movies that continue is having a main character in your film, having a successful arc in the first film. And then you're looking at your options on how to continue. And a lot of times they're like, well, let's just destroy that arc. And like, no, a character can continue to evolve. I Mm -hmm. think as humans, we continue to evolve, hopefully. And I feel like that's kind of the thing in the second Back to the Future. It's like, okay, in the first one, I know it's a little weird because he gets like a nice car at the end, and that's kind of a weird message. But I think the thing that's weird is he has to be selfish for the plot to continue. Yep. And I don't think he's that character anymore. I think it works and it's fine. I love the second one. But I think that's the big issue with continuing movies is being true to the character's development. Iron Man 2 is the worst of that. Yeah. He's like an asshole again for no
0: reason. You know, that is actually a good thing I thought about too. Because I, I was trying to brainstorm some trilogies before we started talking about this. I was like, "Well, man, Marvel's gonna kind of wreck the Captain America one. I mean, we have the Steve Rogers Captain America trilogy, and then it's gonna hand off to, spoiler alert, Sam Wilson, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I, I mean, I'm 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 excited for because that was probably my favorite part of Falcon and Winter Soldier was his arc. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at the Iron Man, which is going to theoretically stop at the trilogy, like, eh. yeah i would say i hope it's like a
1: halloween kill situation because i love three Mm -hmm. (laughs) like three might be my favorite of the
0: marvel movies i think it works better now after shang chi like now that they've kind of been like here's the real mandarin
1: yeah first okay yeah i get that i i guess because you're you're you were a comic book guy right or Uh, you're at least a comic character person I feel a lot of people were bummed and like me not caring at all. I was like, oh, that's cool. You guys are just doing your own thing. (laughs) And people who love comic books are like, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
0: yeah, I guess the problem with that, not to get off on a whole other tangent, is that, I mean, for one, the the Mandarin, obviously, it's as a reference to like Eastern Asia rather than the Middle East, which I thought was an interesting reimagining for this story because it's like oh our greatest like struggle right now is in the middle east so we can tell a lot of interesting stories by doing a terrorist you know who's from the middle east i I felt like the problem with that movie is that ben kingsley was so good (laughs) as like the playing this terrorist that you're almost just like disappointed it wasn't him you're like he seems like he's got his shit together. He's menacing, like, when he's playing that he's part. got that,
1: like, kind of southern <laughs> accent going. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> I forget his line. We're just like, oh, listen about this. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs>
0: Americans. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's it. <laughs> that, that's the voice. I love it.
0: Yeah. Uh, which is so funny, now mm-hmm. when he comes out with the English accent, he just sounds like a lunk. Um, <laughs> speaking <laughs> of things that we like better than the other, we'll get into our power rankings this week, um, which I want to do two rankings, Fred. I want to do the Cornetto Trilogy itself, but then beyond the Cornetto Trilogy. Well, hey, let's do that. Let's start there. Start there. So, where would you rank these three movies? Well, definitely, like
1: we said before, Hot Fuzz is easily my number one. Mm -hmm. Shaun the Dead is easily my number two, and World's End is my easily number three, which... Hey, we were talking about trilogies, sequels, much like Empire. This is, the sequel is strong
0: here. Yeah, the second one is the best. <laughs> so, here's where I'll add the twist, though. If you throw in Scott Pilgrim and Baby Driver, where do those slot into your rankings? So, we're doing a top five here of just Edgar Wright's movies. I
1: think they might, I think it would be Scott Pilgrim above
0: World's End, and then Baby Driver at the back. Driving Ooh. up the rear, Wow. That's interesting. So you would put Scott Pilgrim below Shaun of the Dead? I would. Okay. I think I would put it above Shaun of the Dead, but maybe below Hot Fuzz. That's maybe my one debate. number two? And I only... I say it because of this, is that I think it does so much, Scott Pilgrim that is, of like a very like teenage version of like what hot fuzz is doing like he's very much in like a cer- certain mode right there where it's like his it's just he's kind of feeling himself a little bit there where it just seems like oh yeah these two things feel good i think he's got the cast that are really driving the story there's a lot about kind of like you know a person who's sort of disillusioned kind of coming to and really stepping up and i think it just kind of picks up off of what Shaun of the dead did there too very like, similar theme yeah like kind of like you have to I don't know, it kind of does what Shaun of the Dead did, but maybe even a little bit better, in my opinion. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how all your films should go, I feel like, yeah. if you're picking up the same themes. I think I would put Baby Driver above The World's End, too.
1: See, well, here's the thing. I think I like World's End better, but I've been recently thinking I kind of want to rewatch Baby Driver, because I saw it twice in theaters. Oh, really? I, I was not doing a lot at that time in my life. It wasn't like it was like the most amazing thing, but I was like, I could see that again. Yeah. And I haven't seen it since. I have (laughs) not seen it since 2017, so we're talking like five years. Mm. So I feel I need to rewatch that one, but I still think I'd put Worlds in just because I think it runs off the nostalgia of the Cornetto
0: of it all. Yes. I think you're right. It does kind of feel like that where it's like a heist movie of sorts. You know what? You're right. I think it's worth a rewatch to kind of evaluate it, but I think mm-hmm. I'm going to stick with my rankings for now, just because I feel like the world's end. I just feel like it's two thirds of a movie that I really like, and then there's a third that I'm like, eh. but do I we, like it all. I know we should have covered this before. How do you feel about the very end of the world's end? Do you like that? I actually did. Me too. I, I like thought it. about. I thought I didn't like it the first time. I I'll be honest. I think it hit me the wrong note the first time because I think I was expecting a different movie, and then this time I was like shit, this doesn't look too much different than what could happen right now. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, if I woke up tomorrow and would be like that, I was like, no work, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, so I think that's that's definitely what feels good. Um, but, I mean, all together, I think we're in agreement. Edgar Wright, I think his, his movies are great. I'm super stoked for Last Night in Soho because mm-hmm. I think that's going to be, it seems like his more serious stroke, even above what Baby Driver did. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious how he's going to play with that. I'm
1: very excited to see Mayhem from Attack the Block. Oh, that's right. He's in this, too. Mm-hmm. And he looks like just the same but taller. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, you didn't grow out of your kid face. You're just bigger. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited.
0: He got uh, Diana Riggs' last role. Oh, that's right. She's in it, too. Mm-hmm. Taryn Stamp. Man, it, it's really a great cast. Again, he just does so well with you know, people who mm-hmm. want to work with him. I think both the actresses he picked are just excellent. Like, there's very big up-and-coming. I mean, anybody who watched Queen's Gambit knows that Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, or
1: just even The Witch, like, where she's yeah. way... Like, that was way earlier in her career, and that's, like... That should have gotten some awards talk. I think her and The Witch is, like, quite pitch-perfect.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's it's really was, like, the head-turner, and then Split. I felt like I was like, yep, I'm mm-hmm. keeping an eye out, because she's going to keep doing bigger things after this. Um did you see Thoroughbreds? No, I did not. You should check out Thoroughbreds because that, that other young actress who's really
1: good. She was the actress in what's what's the movie where they do VR and it's Spielberg. Oh Ready oh, Player One. Yeah. That um, actress.
0: Oh, I know who she is. She was also in um that Sound of Metal movie with uh Oh really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was pretty good in that too. Um interesting. But really. it's those two and
1: it's um I'm just having brain farts, but you're here, so that's what's good. The young actor who died, who was in the new Star Trek movies. So
0: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, his last movie.
1: Uh, Anton Yelchin. Anton Yelchin. The name I kept thinking was pra- Patrick
0: Fugit. Oh <laughs> Which, no, that's something they had that. slightly similar vibes, but yeah. not the same. No, it's a, uh, it's a shame, but that's great. I think he's like again, you know, Edgar Wright's working with a lot of great people who are all linked into like these great projects. It's just. It's just night and day. Like it seems like everybody who comes through there ends up doing something just huge. Like, I mean, you know, from hot fuzz to Sky Pilgrim to everything else. I mean I highly recommend anybody who's not seen all parts of the Cornetto trilogy, seek it out. It's, nothing's too scary for you. It's perfectly palatable. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think it's great. If you watch Baby Driver, just imagine it's
1: Christopher Plummer.
0: <laughs> That's your way out of getting around the Kevin Spacey <laughs> of it all um yeah and i think that's that's gonna wrap us up for this week uh stay tuned for next week though we're gonna dive into our first video game franchise we're gonna finalize the details on this yeah, that's,
1: that's the uh hint is it's video game related we know we just don't want to give it away yet. yeah <laughs> we're
0: gonna we're gonna hold this under our wire as we mm-hmm. as we discuss some options but no as as usual it's a great talking to you fred we'll hopefully uh get a chance to do more of this where we can just bounce some things back and forth. but we're excited to have some more guests coming up again soon too. Uh, so stay tuned for more of that and we'll see you next week or next time.
1: See you later.
0: Thanks again for tuning into this week's state of the franchise. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast so you can get the episodes just soon as they drop. And uh, if you're really feeling generous today, please remember to rate and review us. It really does help get our name out there. We're available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Stay tuned next time, too. We'll be talking about Crash Bandicoot. So if you were a PlayStation player from back in the day, we'll hit you with the nostalgia train. And if you never played it, maybe it'll be something you'll be able to seek out for yourself and enjoy for the first time ever. Thanks, and we'll see you then. (music)